Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Good morning, Way family. I'm Barbara Stevens, and I serve with uh, Setup Hospitality and also leading a D group. And I, right? And I know every week somebody gets up here and they say, and we have a place for you to serve. And I didn't want to say that because that's cliche. We say that every week. But it's true. We do, and we need you. But I also want to say, if you're just coming on Sunday morning and you're going home and you're not plugging in during the week and you're not serving, you're not ministering, you're not mutually building up the body of Christ during the week, you're missing out on so much. And we're missing out on so much. We need to all be doing our part. So I do encourage you to plug in somehow, in some way. Our scripture is Acts 11, 19 to 21. Now those who have been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. We just ask that you continue to lead us and guide us by your spirit to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you, Father. We praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, may have a seat. Well, in case you didn't notice, uh, a large portion of our worship team is missing this morning. So they are in Puerto Rico. We sent a team down this week to Puerto Rico to partner with our uh, partner church down there, the Way of Grace Baptist Church. And so they're serving down there. They got down there yesterday. They'll be serving a whole week. And Lord willing, be back by next Sunday to give a report so we can celebrate just God's goodness and grace through them this week. So be praying for them as they are down there, part of our mission team. And just a privilege it is to be a part of a church that is able to send and support other church plants and missionaries. And so continue to pray for the Way of Grace Baptist Church as they're going through a lot of transitions in a very hard area to reach with the gospel. And so our team will be down there sharing the gospel, showing the gospel, serving their community, and partnering with the church. And so be praying for them uh, this next week, and we just can't wait to hear what God does in and through their faithfulness this week. Amen. Also, just uh, can we just thank the Lord for Austin, just Austin leading us this morning. And so what a blessing. What a blessing he's been to the life of this church. He's been a great partner with our church even before we started being a church, before we even started worshiping together. He's already serving uh, with us, and so he's faithful serving within his own church, uh, Calvary Chapel in Louisa, so we thank you for the gospel work that's being done there and through Austin. So, brother, we appreciate you. Well, listen, we're uh, continuing our series, Moment to Movement, and as we've seen so far in the book of Acts, this is a high overview of the book of Acts. We've seen various moments that led to significant movements. And this, again, we'll see another movement that's happening off of this moment uh, from Acts 11. So if you haven't turned there yet, I invite you to grab your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 11. And we're starting in verse 19. And if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Encouragement for Everyone. Encouragement for Everyone. And man, one of the most encouraging, in my opinion, verses, truths in the entire Bible is Romans 8, verse 28. Simply says, we know that all things, it's a lot of things, all things work together for the good of those who love God 
and who are called according to his purpose. But it's interesting, when we come to a verse like that, it's packed just full of truth and encouragement if we let the depth of that sink in, because all things means all things, even the terrible things, God can still use and does use in significant and miraculous ways. And so we have to look at, what does that look like practically? So we can hear it, like generally, like it sounds good, but practically what does that look like? And if we go back just a couple weeks in this series, in Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen. Stephen, this Man says, uh, full of faith in the Holy Spirit, love the Lord, serving in significant capacities within the local church, boldly sharing the truth about Jesus, was killed for it. Killed for sharing the truth about Jesus. And so this Romans 8, 28, what's that look like practically? We see so far that the slaying of Stephen has led to the salvation of many. It's interesting, you go back to Acts chapter 1, when Jesus told his disciples in 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It means right here in Jerusalem, but you'll continue to go. And as you go, you continue to share the gospel, and many will believe you'll be my witnesses. And what witnesses do? They share about what they've seen and heard. The problem was, they had been stuck in Jerusalem. And God was doing amazing things through their faithfulness of sharing the good news of the gospel, the hope of Jesus in Jerusalem. And the church was exploding. Because we know, again, Romans 1.16, when you talk about encouragement, he says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, meaning the good news of Jesus, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes and that everyone means everyone. It's interesting. Jesus says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that power is where we get the word dynamite. And Romans 1.16 says, because the gospel is the power of God, that same word where we get dynamite. So God uses faithful people to proclaim and share this faith-filled message that leads to many people believing We've seen Acts chapter 17. There's three responses that everyone will give at some level when you share the gospel. Three things you'll encounter when you share the gospel with people. Some will ridicule you, right? Well, that's dumb. How can you believe an outdated book? That's foolish. Some will want to hear more. I'd like to hear more about that. I saw that just yesterday. We were at a hotel. Me and the boys took a trip. At a hotel, eating their, their breakfast hotel or their hotel breakfast. And I was just making my, again, one of the best parts, what we look for as we travel, when we do breakfast at a hotel, do they have a waffle maker? The hotel could be burning down, but as long as they have a waffle maker, we'll consider it, right? And so here I'm just making my waffle, waiting the two and a half minutes for the thing to cook, and I'm listening to this guy just having a conversation with one of the workers there. He says, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so, and how can I pray for you? So they do. And he says, hey, listen, do you know, have you put your faith in Jesus? So they talked. And it was really just street conversation. I just happened to be in proximity. So I'm just like, my ear's bending that way. Like, this is, this is good. And he just shares the hope of the gospel. And he says, would you want to put your faith in Jesus right now? And her response was, oh, I, just, I just need to pray about it more. And he's like, that's fine. Pray about it. And that response was, I need to hear more, right? Not ridiculed but I'd be willing to hear more. And that happens. But then the third response in Acts 17 we see is that some do believe. 
And so we faithfully share in the gospel. Let him, God, do the work, knowing that you may get ridiculed. Some want to hear more, but some do believe. And that's what we see here. These faithful servants were going throughout Jerusalem, sharing the gospel, and many were believing. But that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say stay here in Jerusalem and have just an awesome living. He says continue to go further and further out with the hope of Jesus, right? And so what led to them going further and further out was the slaying, the murdering of Stephen. And by that, they, Acts 8.4 says, those who were scattered because of this incident went on their way preaching the word. Went on their way sharing the gospel, proclaiming, preaching. It's not it doesn't mean a whole bunch of preachers. Christians are preachers, proclaimers of the good news of the gospel. And so as they went, as they scattered, they were sharing the gospel. And so we see what Jesus called them to do in the first place was actually happened, but it happened by way of a severe, tragic incident. So how can God use all things? Well, this falls into all things category. By all means, innocent, Stephen was killed. But yet God used that to propel the gospel. Many would believe. One incident we have is, I love this, in Acts 8, as they were going, this guy named Philip, being led by the Holy Spirit, goes up to this chariot with an Ethiopian eunuch. Because God called him, he felt impressed upon the Holy Spirit to go and talk to this. And so he goes up beside this chariot, and hears this Ethiopian eunuch reading out of Isaiah, specifically what we know now as Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. He says, do you know what you're reading? And the eunuch replies back, how can I unless I have somebody teach me? Well, I'm the man. That's not what he says, but that's essentially what he's thinking. It says the scripture he read was this. It says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and the lamb is silent before the shearer. So does he not open his mouth? In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And so it says that Philip then proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that verse. Sharing the gospel, beginning in Isaiah. So he started there, but he obviously told him much more because of the Ethiopian eunuch's response. We don't know all that Philip shared, but he started with the gospel, but he didn't end there. Because what we see next it says, as they were traveling down the road, they came to some water. The eunuch said, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? This is so interesting to me because so many times that we stop and say, you believe in Jesus? Praise God, high five, go on your way. But that's not the finish line. It is just starting this new life in Christ. And so as you put your faith in Jesus, we're called to surrender to Jesus and called to obedience to what Jesus commanded us. And the first thing that we see here over and over in New Testament is faith and then baptism. And it's interesting. It's not like the, the Philip was like, hey, listen, guy, now you see that water over there? You need to be baptized. No, the eunuch brought it up. He's like, there's water. Is there anything for stopping me? And Philip's like, no. The only reason I say this is because you see this present over and over. You share the gospel, people leave baptism, go on, share the gospel, make disciples. This is the Great Commission. But you see this, as they went, this movement was getting generated so much so it had a nickname. We talked about it a little bit last week. This movement was called The Way. And The Way was spreading. And then you see last week, what we saw is this man named Saul, this chief persecutor. 
He actually came to faith on the way to fight against the way. Just a miraculous movement of God. Just a reminder that nobody is too far away from salvation. As long as you have breath in your lungs and a heartbeat in your chest, you can be saved. I don't care what you've done, what you've been through, you still have hope. That's what we see here in this gospel movement known as the ways continue to go further and further out from Jerusalem now has reached in Acts 11, Antioch. Again, an absolute movement of God. And that's what we see in verse 21. It says, the Lord's hand was with them. God was doing this through faithful people who were going to share the good news about Jesus. And we see the promise that Jesus gives. In Matthew 16, he says, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it, will not overcome it. And we see the gospel moving out. We see the light pushing back the darkness. We see people coming from death to life because of Christ Jesus. And we see the church moving and expanding and the gospel gaining ground. And what we see all through the book of Acts is as the gospel gains ground, people come to faith, we see local churches being established. And that's what we see here in Antioch the roots of this local church in Antioch. And just a quick side note. This should be one of the chief aims of every mission that the church does, is going somewhere where the gospel is not known or helped be known. Make disciples, churches formed, replicate. That's what we see over and over again. Churches send Share the gospel, make disciples, church is formed, do it again. This is how, by God's design, the gospel goes forth. By faithful men and women sharing the hope that's in the gospel. And so here this church in Antioch, it's not quite a church yet, but you see the roots of it. And I love what the church in Antioch ends up becoming for various reasons. Much We can learn many things. They, we'll just talk about more in a minute. Really the model church in many ways. But I love it because of the who and the how behind the church that is going to be formed. Did you notice who God used to start this church? We already read it. I'm assuming you probably didn't because they weren't named. They weren't named. We'll talk about two men that would be named that would be an integral part of what God would do in this church. But all it says in verse 20 is some men. I love that. Just some men. Doing what Christians do. I love this. This reminds me. So, no, you guys know this about me. I like some football, right? I'm, I'm just, I'm going to keep pressing upon you until you guys like football too. So, we're going to keep going there. So, the New England Patriots, not a Patriots guy, but you can't deny they've been extremely successful. Not this year so much. But from 2002 to 2019, they were just dominating six Super Bowl wins, which is just crazy in such a short time span all led by one quarterback who's his name Tom Brady everybody knows that but you know the only reason Tom Brady was successful because he can't run any of y'all can run faster than Tom Brady I guarantee it the slowest guy in the whole NFL I, I would be one to bet you know the only reason he's successful you can say plays whatever but on the field was his lineman can anyone name a lineman for Tom Brady. Just some men, right? Just some men. They were the secret to Tom Brady's success because he can't run anywhere. He is a stationary statue. So if those some men weren't doing their job, 
they would not have had any success. So I love this some men because it's a reminder, this is an encouragement for us that God continues and chooses to use the common, ordinary, everyday people. Not the super saints. He uses the less than people to accomplish great things, ultimately for his glory. That gives us confidence to then risk and try great things for the glory of God because he chooses to use common, common, ordinary people like us. And I love Acts 4. So you have Peter and John who are just going out sharing the hope in Jesus, and they get arrested for it. Now we're standing in front of the religious leaders of the day, and Acts 4.13 says, when they, being the religious leaders, observe the boldness of Peter and John and realize that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. I just wonder how many of us, when people around us recognize that we've been with Jesus. I wonder about myself. I wonder how many people recognize that I've been with Jesus. It's obvious that I'm untrained. That's, that's you know, that's, that's given. Uneducated. Yeah, that's, be around me for two minutes, you'll know. Pretty uneducated. But more so than that, I wonder if people recognize that I've been with Jesus. That's who God uses. And so he uses these, some men, just going about doing what they did, Christians do. And, which leads us to the next point. You see some men, but how did the church get started through these some men? It says in verse 21, proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. And large numbers believed. So some men were going to share in the hope of Jesus and large numbers in this very, by many aspects, wicked, pagan, idol-worshiping society. Many believed. And we see this church starting to be formed. And this was big news, and such big news, like the news would go back to the church in Jerusalem. Like there's a movement happening in Antioch. Like even the Gentiles were coming to faith. Meaning everyone that's not Jewish is Gentiles. I'm assuming most of y'all, right? This is crazy. Like even the pagan, wicked Gentiles were coming to faith. So this news made its way back to Jerusalem. It's just interesting to me. Again, I, I love looking at different movements of God throughout history and different revivals. And one of my favorites, for sure, is the revival that happened in the 60s and 70s, 1960s and 70s, the Jesus movement, right? They made a film about it, Jesus Revolution. Now, I love the, 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 why it's so shocking is because who was coming to faith in Lonnie Frisbee in the movie Jesus Revolution quotes saying this. He says, God is saving the hippies and it's blowing everyone's mind because nobody thought the hippies could be saved. And I love that. And it gets me thinking, I wonder who in 2023, nobody thinks this group can be saved. Man, don't ever put that on God. I've learned something. Never to say never. That's always funny in God's sight. And don't ever say nobody. God can do it. That's what he's doing here. These, these nobody could save Gentiles and Gentiles were coming to faith. And so what would the church in Jerusalem do? They would send a man of influence to help. And not because he was a man of influence because of his political power or prominence or even the amount of possessions he had, but it was because of his character that Christ has created and cultivated in his life. This one man 
was one of the most influential leaders in church history that I bet many of us don't know much about or just unaware of. That's what we see in verse 22. It says, news about them, meaning them being that movement that's happened in Antioch, reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. And I just want to pause because we have to know a little bit more about Barnabas. Barnabas is one of my favorite church leaders for various reasons and someone who I really want to emulate. And Barnabas was a nickname. Anybody have any nicknames? Really, nicknames like a characteristic, like something you're known for or something you've done or a mistake you've made, right? Or might have been there. Like, for instance, we, as you know, being the boys, we, we race BMX bikes. And one of the tracks we race at, there's this one teenager who has a nickname Duck Boy. Duck Boy. Because a guy wears size 18 shoe. Yeah. So he got his nickname because he has a huge foot, like a duck. But Barnabas got this nickname. And we see in Acts 4, 36, the name was actually Joseph. And Joseph is a Levite from Cyprus. It says, by birth, the one the apostles called Barnabas, which says, which is translated, son of encouragement. Barnabas got his nickname Barnabas because of his encouragement that he brought, known for being encouraging. Now, he didn't have a daddy named encouragement. That's not what that means means that's what he was known as. That's who he was. This encouragement, filled with encouragement. So they called him Barnabas because he's running around encouraging people all the time. Man, I want to be that. I want to be known for my encouragement. Not for, oh, you should have done this, and you did that for real. But how can we be encouraging one another? And so we see, one, Barnabas was an encourager. Number two, in Acts 4.37, we see that he was generous. He had property. It said he sold the field he owned and brought the money and laid it to the apostles' feet. So he brought the money and laid it before the church because they were caring for each other. So he's known for being an encourager, known for being generous. And then, I don't have a word for this. I've been struggling all week. But he was really a form of an intercessor, mediator. What we see in Acts 9 we know that Saul came to faith. We saw it last week. This persecutor feared, now came to faith and was following Jesus. In Acts 9, verse 26, it says, when he, meaning Saul, arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him since they did not believe he was a disciple. So here Saul was trying to join the group of disciples. And they're like, no, 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 no. This is a trick. It's a scam. You want to come in and arrest us and take us to prison or kill us. We ain't doing that. Then verse 20 says, it says, Barnabas, however, took him, brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. I love this. You see Barnabas, full of encouragement, generous, and also the one who just steps in mediates, intercedes, and brings unity in the church. And then in Acts 11, verse 24, we see about Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I love that because that's exactly how Stephen was explained, described, full of faith and the Holy Spirit, Acts 6 says. And more so what we see here is that Barnabas Again, full of faith in the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit and the faith. He was willing to put his yes on the table. So here the 
Jerusalem, was saying, we need someone to send to Antioch. And Barnabas was willing to go. And so he goes. And verse 23, it says, when he, Barnabas, arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged, of course he did, because that's what his name was, encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord and devote their hearts with devoted hearts. This encouragement to stay the course, keep going, because a lot of these were new believers. And again, this was a time of persecution, right? And so he encouraged them, say, true to the Lord. Keep your hearts devoted to the Lord. And it reminds me again, a lot, again, you have to forgive me, because a lot of my life is consumed with Jesus, family, and BMX racing. That's what I do. That's what I do. It's interesting. So BMX racing, you have all ages represented. And the smallest age group is little five-year-olds riding bikes. Imagine an orange on a toothpick, right? That's what it looks like. These little helmets riding around. And they don't have enough body weight or skill to maintain speed, so they're just pedaling the whole way to get around the track. There's little legs going. And they get a whole lot of encouragement throughout the whole race by mainly parents by using one word the whole time. Pedal! Pedal! So all you hear is these parents, pedal, pedal, pedal! And these kids are all grinding away. Now, as I think about that, I just think about what that would look like with Barnabas. Like, just keep going. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Why? Because we get tired, and things get hard, and life happens, and things just fall apart, and the world's on fire, and our life oftentimes looks like a dumpster fire, but we now hear the words, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And I just believe that's what happened with Barnabas. It's full of encouragement. Just keep going. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And this is what encouragement, I mean, the encouragement that we get as a culture is look inside yourself. Find yourself. Find your inner strength, inner peace. That isn't encouragement. That's not where we should be looking. The encouragement comes from God's word. I just want to give us, man, we can go so many verses. I want to give us seven. Seven's always a good number. So let's do seven verses of encouragement that I believe would have somehow, some way, in some form, been spoken by Barnabas. Again, the verse, some of the verses on the quote would have come after Barnabas, but still, they're still come from the Lord ultimately. And so, I mean, one verse that just really drives everything that we do is Ephesians 6, verse 10. So if you're taking notes, Ephesians 6, 10 says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. That's where it starts. Like, we get to go through a rough patch, and we're like, we just need to be strong. I just need to grind through it. I need to get through it. And No, you need to surrender and abide, come back to Jesus and find strength in Jesus. That's the only strength that continues to propel us. Deuteronomy 31, verse 8 says, The Lord is the one who will go before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or abandon you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. And we're not afraid or discouraged because of who God is. So hopefully we see the encouragement of God's word there. Jesus in Matthew 11, verse 28 says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So hear the encouragement there because we all become weary and burdened. And so what do you do with that? Come to Jesus. Rest in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. I don't know about you, but there's times that you feel as you're just working and living for the Lord's glory, that you feel like, what is coming from this? It feels worthless, but no, as you do it for the Lord, it is not worthless. 
It's not in vain. Hebrews, Hebrews 10, verse 24 and 25 says, Let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. And what that means is talking about Jesus is coming back. Before he comes back, things are going to get a whole lot worse. And so how much more do we need to encourage one another to keep your eyes focused on on Jesus? He is faithful. He is steadfast. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be discouraged. Do not worry. He remains steadfast, unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And finally, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you already are doing. I don't know if you know that this, but through these verses, you see that we need encouraging. So we need at some level to be encouragers, and when we can't be that, we need someone else to encourage us. And so both ways, there's seasons of life where we need to be the one encouraging, but also seasons of life where we need some encouragement. So primarily it comes from the Lord, but also from one another. And then you see Barnabas, again, encouragement, the effect of the encouragement that he had. In verse 24, it says, and large numbers of people were added to the Lord. So you have this movement. Barnabas shows up, continues to encourage the believers to continue, stay steadfast, encouraging them. And we see that more people were added to the Lord. More people were coming to the faith. And he said, just keep on your eyes focused on Jesus. And the church was growing. And it's interesting here, Barnabas recognizes that's some of that the church has now essentially outpeopled his pastoring. They have outsaved his able to shepherd. And so what's he do? He needs some ministry help. Maybe using 2023 verbiage. It's time to add staff. That's what it means, right? And so Barnabas knew the perfect guy for the position. And that's what we see in verse 25 and 26. It says he went to Tarshish to search for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. I love this. The same Saul he had to stick up for. He knew him well. He says, I know the guy. So he goes and gets Saul and brings him back to Antioch. I love this because first you see Barnabas said yes. Yes, send me, I'll go to Antioch. But then he goes and gets Saul. And then Saul had to say, yeah, I'll go with you as well. And both men, as we see here, were willing to put their yes on the table to see what God might do in and through them. It's such a great reminder and encouragement that through their willingness by faith, they were able to see God do great things because they put their yes on the table. They didn't know what would happen. We have the benefit of looking back 2,000 years to see the fruits of the labor, what would happen through their faithfulness. So my question for us is, are you seeing God do great things in, through, and around you? I think so many times we're not. I think we're not willing to take faith risks for God. Because it's risky. It's risky to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Here's my life, do with it what you want. That's what faith is. That's what coming to Jesus is. Even when, like we talked about last week, even when it doesn't make sense, it seems irrational, we do it anyway. Because our trust isn't ourselves. Our trust is in Jesus. He's faithful. We don't lean on our own understanding. 
But in all our ways, we acknowledge him. And so that's what we see in Paul, Saul, who would eventually be known as Paul, and Barnabas. They didn't know what would happen, but they knew God was doing a work, and they wanted to join him there. And through an invite, they went. And again, the only reason Barnabas and Saul were able to see God working was because they were willing. I'm just asking us, are we willing? Are we willing to do whatever God would have us to do, even when it doesn't make sense? Are we willing to even consider and pursue? Maybe God would have something else for me to do. Then we see in verse 26, says, For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And what we see here is Jesus' great commission happening. The command to go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. And he says this, and remember, Jesus, remember this? He says, I re- and remember, I am with you always, even into the end of the age. And so that remains true, because what we see here, in, like see, verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them. So as they went, not knowing what happened, they knew that Jesus was with them, and they were called to do this. And so whatever this means, they were willing to go, and the Lord's hand was with them. And so they were able to see great things simply because they were willing. And then this church in Antioch began to form. Through the faithfulness of some men and the spirit-filled leading of two men. And again, this church would emerge in many ways to be a model-type church. And so if we're looking for a church to emulate, this would be a good one. Because what we see is that this church would be an influential church. That's what we saw in verse 26. The disciples were first called Christians at this church. So it went from just something that was happening to now a movement called the way, now an identified group of people called Christians. They were influential, affecting the community. They were generous. This young church was generous already. What we see in verse 29 is that they heard of a famine that was going to happen in Jerusalem. And so it says, each of the disciples, according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brothers and sisters who lived in Judea. So they got up some finances to be able to send to help support. And so you see this early church was influential, they were generous, and they were a praying church. And so what we'll see more next week in Acts 13, it says, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted and prayed, laid hands on them and sent them off. And so what was happening here, they sent Barnabas and Saul off to be missionaries, to go. And that's extremely noteworthy because who was this church sending out? Some of their first leaders. It wasn't like, you know, we hear some things that need to happen over in this area, so let's send, you know, weird Uncle Jim, right? Or just like the whoever like, you don't want to be around, let's, let's send them, right? No. They were sending their best. Hear me when I say that. I mean, the people that were, they saw as most influential leaders of the church, they sent them. Again, we'll talk about that more next week. But as I see this church at Antioch, and as I see Barnabas, man, it just stirs a longing in me for us. May what be known about us collectively as a church be more like that of the church at Antioch. Influential, generous, praying, sending church. And this church, what many of you may not know, but this church 
would become a prolific, disciple-making, church-planting church. Most of the books we have in the New Testament exist because of this church. When you think of all the epistles, most of them were written to local churches. And these local churches were established by this church being able to send out missionaries. This church would be a prolific church that God would use in amazing ways just because they were willing to say yes. But you see Barnabas. May what be known about us individually be more like that of Barnabas. Full of encouragement. Generous. Interceding and on behalf of others, unifying, and willing to put his yes on the table. Whatever you will, God, my life is yours. I want to encourage us just with a, as we kind of wrap things up. Is just, I love this verse in verse 23 that we saw. When Barnabas arrived and he saw the grace of God, and he was glad and encouraged all of them. And I just believe we need encouragement. We need encouragement. We need to just rest and remember who God is. And to hear again, stay the course. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Because we all go through moments, and you may be in one right now, where your life feels like it's falling apart. Uncertainty. We don't know what tomorrow brings. Family difficulties, relationship difficulties, health difficulties, financial difficulties. Life doesn't always look like, and I think this is where we go wrong sometimes as new believers. We feel like we've come to Jesus and everything will be great. We'll be happy, healthy, and well. And it's not the promise Scripture gives. It'll be better because you have Jesus. But it doesn't mean life will be easy. And it always reminds me of this, this picture we're going to show. And I feel like this is what life looks like sometimes as we follow Jesus. And AV team, can you show that picture for me? This is what life looks like. This is what Christian life looks like. Through the muck in the mire. I don't know about you, but this has been, it all hasn't been cotton candy and unicorns and just hasn't been that. I mean, there's been moments, praise God, and God's been very gracious and generous to our family, but life isn't always easy. And for many of us, it looks a lot like this. You just have to grind through it. But how do you grind through it? You fix your eyes on Jesus. And this was a, a race that we went through that was full of obstacles, kind of like life, mud pits and electricity. And water, I, I don't know how that mixes, but pretty sure it's not good. But it felt like life. But you stayed the course because you knew the finish line was coming. So you just got to get through, get through. And my eyes were focused on the finish line. You take that down now. We've seen enough. Thanks. Let me encourage you with Hebrews 12. It says, let's lay aside every hindrance and sin that so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Then it says this, keeping our eyes on Jesus. Let's run the race. And this isn't a fast race. It's a race that looks a lot like that one. But keeping our eyes on Jesus. And this is Peter when he's walking on water. What happened? Jesus said, come on, big boy, get out of the boat and follow me. Come on, walk on water. And he did. It's amazing, this man of faith, great faith, walked on water because he was looking at Jesus. As soon as he saw the waves and the storm raging, he sunk and started drowning, right? You all know the account. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Who knows how far Peter could have gone? 
But even when your eyes shift, Peter's a great example. Because what do you do? Save me, Jesus. And Jesus pulled him out. Fix our eyes on Jesus. We need one another to encourage our, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And when you shift and start feeling discouraged and maybe even helpless or hopeless, we need others to bring us back and to fix our eyes on Jesus. If you're here this morning just struggling with whatever's going on because life is full of struggles, hear me say, fix your eyes on Jesus because he's the rock of your salvation. He remains unchanging, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he is with us. He will never forsake us or leave us. He is our strength and our salvation. Fix our eyes on Jesus. As 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, he who calls you is faithful. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. This is a reminder of who we are in Christ. And no matter what you go through, he is faithful. And he will bring you through it ultimately to himself. I'm going to invite Austin back up. And we're going we're gonna to close in a worship song. And I'm going to ask you to just respond to what God's doing. And so if you're just going through it, I'm going to ask you just to rest in this moment. And just remember God's goodness and his grace. Listen, I know things are changing and uncertain. But Jesus isn't. So let's continue to lean on the rock of your salvation, remembering the truth of what God's word says, that you're never alone. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will not abandon you. You are not without hope. And if you're in here and you have yet to fully just put your faith in Jesus, I'm going to invite you to do that at this time as well. May today be the day of your salvation. May today you finally see that there's a God who loves you and has sought you out. Being Jesus, the one who lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, to die the death that you deserved, bearing the wrath of God's judgment so you don't have to because you were helplessly, hopelessly stuck in your sin. But Jesus paid the price died, rose on the third day, now sits at the right hand of God so that everyone, anyone who puts their faith in him alone has eternal life. And that life starts at the moment you believe. And so I don't know how many times you've sat through a church service and I don't know how many things you know about Jesus, but have you shifted your faith in Jesus? Not how much you know, but are you willing to give everything? That's what faith is. So I'm going to invite you just to respond. We're going to have a prayer team to the side. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you, whatever God's laying on your heart. But respond to what God's doing in your life in this moment. That may look at various ways as we sing this last song. Maybe you just need to sit and pray. Maybe gather with some folks around you. Just pray together if that's how the Lord leads you. And for others, we'll be standing and singing praises to God because he's worthy. But take advantage of this time just to respond to what the Holy Spirit is prompting your heart to do. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it brings such encouragement. And Lord, right now I just ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit and combined with your word of encouragement that you just bring encouragement to hearts and minds who des so desperately need it. Remind us of who you are and who we are in you. Children of God because of our faith in Christ Jesus. That even while we were sinners, you proved your own love for us 
through Christ Jesus who died for us. Lord, help us never to get over the amazing love that you have shown and have given us. Lord, continue to stir our hearts and our affections more for you, Father. No matter what we're going through, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit in us to fix our eyes on you, to shift our strength to you. Help us to resist the temptation to just suck it up and, and to bear and grind through it, but be quicker to run to you for our strength and our hope and our guidance and wisdom, Lord, because we need you. So we just thank you for your presence with us. We thank you for your promises to never forsake us or leave us. We thank you for who you are. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.